So I'm creating my own individual amazing podcast. And it's going to be worth $100 one day. And my podcast is actually about some songs that um, some songs I'm going to write one day after I become a, um, a professional diving instructor you see the secret to becoming an actual good songwriter is to become a diving instructor never dived in my life ever in fact I'm pretty sure that I've spent too much time picking my nose and uh, so like in another everybody else is out like doing things like making money working I just pick my nose and so the problem is, is I'm not writing songs because I'm not diving and uh, so my podcast is about writing songs and picking your nose well no never, never mind not picking your nose we're going to stop that we're going we're gonna to drink three glasses of water instead every time okay can you do that with me great we're on our way to a wonderful wonderful relationship together so the story I have starts about three years ago I am not pretty much smoking meth all night and I'm just um, not pretty much doing the right things and I'm pretty unhappy I have a um, my wife and my son are sleeping and I can't sleep of course uh, my wife wouldn't really want me in the room anyway I mean, we hadn't talked or really she hadn't listened to the right word she didn't listen to me she wouldn't listen to me oh and most of you guys would say it's probably because I smoke meth but there's a strange relationship between the two there you see because the less I was listened to more I tried to find some way to fill my love bucket and since I've already drank my pancreas into the ground I kind of just kind of worn out on the drinking I mean it wouldn't work anymore um I was taking suboxone so I couldn't really run back to the heroin I was taking every single form of prescription antidepressant you can think of on the market Wellbutrin Gabapentin Effexor I don't know there are some other ones yeah, Seroquel at night these things were oh, just a joy just total joy I don't know long story I guess I started in a really weird place and I don't really pick my nose and I'm not going to dive. I might dive. So, anyway, you get back to it. Like, I told her I'm going to stab her in the face. 
I remember saying it to her like I'm just mad I'm just I'm stab you in the face I'm not going to stab her in the face it's just something she said to me like three days earlier sort of repeated it thinking like well how does that feel you know to hear and she just totally did not remember telling me that that was just typical she didn't really remember any conversation she had with me because she wasn't there ever still isn't and I'm sober been sober for a while well anyway so, uh, so get it this she leaves she literally takes my son and she leaves my apartment packs up everything and takes off her dad and her brother and her family come grab all her stuff and then she moves out of the apartment we're married there's not even a little bit of work she puts into it now I keep acting like I'm some kind of a victim here and I'm sure that's what I would like to be portrayed as I mean I'd like to think of myself as the victim like it was her who did it to me and you know it's a relationship so it was 50-50 but what I did after the adventures afterwards the dick pics uh, on on iPhone on my iPhone which somehow landed in my iCloud which somehow I tapped in to my company provided iPad that I has had to use to run my reports on. I don't know how it gets on there, and then everybody shares that cloud. So my dick pics get out to everybody at work, and I mean they are just embarrassing. Uh, the kind where you know you have stayed up three days, uh, you're smoking meth, and you are just super really broken hearted and unhappy, yet so a hundred percent. Uh, horny and just wanting to connect with almost any female at that point. I mean, it was just really bad. I mean, just, my mind was going insane. It was insane. I mean, I was insane. So, I, uh, oh my god. So, anyway, I get this new job right around this time. I don't know. Don't ask me. But I become a quality control manager of a um, big company out, out here in Utah. I'm not going to say the name. Actually, I'm going to say the name is Mountain State Steel. Yeah, that's who it was. That was where I worked. And I became the QC manager. And things weren't actually going that bad. I tried to keep like some sort of homeostasis with crying two, three, four hours a day, picking up, which took like one or two hours a day to pick up the stupid drugs. Then, of course, the doing of the drug, the smoking um, of the drug, you know, like... And I would sort of make sure that I would go to sleep at night if I could you know, get two three hours that's all I needed and I had some support at work you know like mild support and I was very used to amphetamines um, I, 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 if I can rewind way back um, there wasn't a scary amount of Adderall that I had ever taken no there was just something I was prescribed in multiple times by every doctor I'd ever seen I mean bottom line is I ended up in on on multiple scripts of Adderall and ended up running out and getting cut off that's what sort of turned me over to the amphetamines, the methamphetamines which they get such a bad name and such a bad rap and I don't give a shit what you think because they really um, might no they really do look trashy I mean I feel like it's a nasty thing to say that I did but you wouldn't have known I mean I didn't pick in my face wasn't gaunt 
I did. I could stand still. I didn't talk with my hands, wobble all over Walmart. I didn't steal from you. I didn't make excuses about every single thing, ever. Like, I didn't pull things out of the garbage and, um, <laughs> anyway, I didn't dumpster dive, I don't know. Um, what I did do is I had, the, I had that apartment to myself now, you know, my wife is, is now living with her father and I was just, you know, she didn't know, still didn't know I was using and, um, of course I really was trying to like figure some way to get like it under control. Uh, of course, like most addicts, I didn't, I still have trouble with, um, you know, admitting to myself that, that I am an addict. I have a disease of addiction. That once I touch any drug or chemical, I give every single thing that I've, I've earned or have or anything that belongs it. Anything that has any value to me, I, I, I sort of give it away or I lose it. Anyway, I found the best way to stay sober is to stay broke. That's kind of my solution. It sucks. It's a lonely, miserable, sour life. It really is got nothing joyful about it. It just sucks. You know, when your friend's sick, he's got cancer or something, something terminal, deadly, something without a cure, you're going to bring him dinner, lunch, you're going to take care of him, you know, you're going to call and see how he's doing, you know, you're going to get together with the family, you're going to go to get the chemo and the treatment, you're going to try, you know. And, um, and you're gonna do everything you can. This person's gonna be fighting for the life, and uh, you're gonna be right there with that person helping. Well, if you're an addict, you don't have people that care about you anymore. Everybody thinks you're a failure. Everybody thinks you've done them wrong on purpose. Everybody believes that um, that they're the victim. That they are almost owed something by you now that you've taken something from them on purpose again and it's not the case never is I can't honestly like tell you a single time where I would have honestly like in my right mind logically picked drugs over something like my wife and my son. I really want to be a dad. Like, I still do. I, I, just, I, I don't want to be a deadbeat. I only have one child. I'm 37 years old. I just turned 37 on June 1st. So anyway, the dick pics, they get out. And that is just, it's just bad. You know, like, what am I doing? I don't do that kind of stuff. Um... I wasn't really sending the pics to anybody. That's the thing. I just wanted to take pics of my dick. It was some kind of maybe make-believe idea that I'd find some girl that was super interested in my dick pics. Anyway, moving on. I work here at this company called Mountain States, and uh, we got a really big job, and it's hard. And I'm not sleeping, and I'm not sleeping enough. And the sleeping starts getting less and less. And 
as I started self-medicating more and more, um, the self-medicating and the tension and the anxiety was getting just out of control, but I had to, uh, feed this thing. Then this thing was getting hungry. Because the more it hurt, the more I realized that my life is literally going to go back into the shit again. Again. By the way, this wasn't the first time that I'd lost it. Or was giving things, or in the process of giving things away to my addiction. I, uh, you know, I knew I was in the grip, and I kind of kept telling myself, well, I got this new job, you know. Anyway, well, somewhere in the middle there, the guy, a co-worker, he sold me a motorcycle, and I buy this 1998 Suzuki Bandit, and it's a 1200, so it's a leader bike, and I never had a crotch rocket leader bike before. I have had leader, like, leader bike Harleys, and they are I'm just put this way in comparison they it almost feels like they're going backwards in terms of power and speed and agility and I don't know even fun I want to say um I get this bike and like this bike becomes my uh my freedom I guess in a way like it, I would get on that bike and I wouldn't use no I had I had to be in the moment I had to sit there and focus on the road and I mean, every second I was, I was pretty alert. I was pretty, I'm going to say there was fear. There was some scare, there was some fear there involved, you know, keeping me in the moment, right there in that moment. And by the way, if I could say anything, if I could just devote this podcast to that, I mean, not picking your nose, not diving, but staying in the moment. Like, I'm sure diving would keep you in the moment. I'm sure if you really pick your nose, you're in the moment too, but... Moving on, like, and writing songs, by the way, staying in the moment, all of it. Doing drugs, you don't really stay in the moment. Your ego is in control. The ego's hungry, and it's telling you all kinds of things. Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Poor me. Look what everybody's done to you. You're losing everything. Nobody cares about you, and nobody loves you. And, you know, nobody does. Really, my addiction. I don't even have. I don't know. There's a lot of questions I, I have about my life. I mean, one thing I know for sure is that I don't. I don't feel. I haven't felt cared about or loved for a long time in fact it's getting so old that I mean I realize that now it's just in the way of life I just don't have have it and I'm not too insecure of a person but I can't I don't consider myself unattractive either I'm probably like maybe a 7.5 or an 8 maybe but I'm a little overweight like I, I got a stupid gut getting sober and I don't know I feel like that makes me ugly but the bottom line is I need to realize that you know if I was going by my past um, what I've heard maybe what I know based on you know some of the caliber of women I've been with I'd say you know not unattractive and, and it shouldn't be hard for me to find somebody that maybe take interest in me you know the fact that I do write songs 
do play music that I want so badly to share my my uh, music again with somebody. It's not like I'm take it lightly. I'm been doing it for my whole life. I've been playing music, and it's something I love sharing. I get a certain feeling of accomplishment, like a, like a feeling of self-worth, value, like, you know, it makes me feel good about myself. It feels good to share and to really nail the note and to the lyric and the song and to just be smiling as I do it and just sort of knowing that I did it, you know, I nailed that part and I wrote it. These are things I don't get to do anymore. So I don't really sit down and play guitar for myself or write anymore. Not too much. My song, I mean my story, <laughs> my song story, sounds more like a, just a poor me thing. The addiction's a son of a bitch. So the dick pics get out. I got a motorcycle and it goes fast and I realize it goes really fast. The job is getting just more intense, more intense, more taxing, it's getting hotter outside in Utah it's, it's, the days are turning into I mean like they're becoming some hot and that being on the motorcycle you can't push air conditioning and, and you think that you know when you're moving you're going to stay cool and that's true for the most part especially when I stopped caring about my life and value of it, I might stay in I did stay in the now and I did stay in the moment and I did have fear of losing my life, I won't lie yet I didn't really have a fear of dying I don't know it was a really weird place where I just wore a white t-shirt a lot of the times and and I would sometimes test the bike and this is where it got fun I mean 120 140 160 you know like that was crazy things were just moving right by it's almost like it's, it's, it's a drug in itself and, uh, and that was the high that I could say was just probably saved my life through then I would get on that bike and I wouldn't use and I could ride all day I still could of course I've lost the bike I've lost like three bikes since then actually but um moving on I'm uh I'm just trying to get her back and not doing the right things to get there she's calling the cops on me for sitting out in front of her house and my bike <laughs> terrible of course in Utah they in the city of Bountiful they take that seriously when you sit on your motorcycle legally on a road I wasn't I wasn't sneaking on her or anything like that I, I honestly lost my stupid key to the bike and I had a little bit of trouble finding it as it become darker and my phone and eventually died and, and then I just sort of sat there on the grass um, and maybe I could have done more to try to leave but uh, I kind of got stuck and I figured well I mean I was worn out my, my mind, my brain, my body I was tired and I almost felt comfortable knowing my little boy and my wife were just a couple of doors away like I I was sick of it I just was so tired of it running and gunning and working my butt off and, and spending all my money on the wrong things and just not having any fulfillment not having any real joy so anyway I 
go to jail, you know, of course, of course I go to jail where I bail myself back out, get back on the, I bail myself out and we're the person that the bail bondsman, she helps me find my keys when I get back to my bike. Uh, she has a flashlight and I find them right away. It's all I needed. It's all I really won't ask for from my ex-wife at the time. But just help me with the flashlight, please. And she liked to do things that make them very difficult. So let me tell you what, get called. She's calling the cops on you and you... Anyway, just you build some resentments there. Anyway, I get the car. I get back to my bike and, and I ride it home to little town of Murray, about 15 miles in south of, of, of where she was living in Bountiful, and I get I get home, and I go to sleep, and I wake up the next day at 2 in the afternoon, so I was called in late to work, I mean, it's just a couple hours late, like maybe 8 hours late to work, um, that was the first time that happened. Uh, it ended up happening the next week and then the following week and maybe one more time maybe I don't know it was bad um, what ended up happening is I guess I, I had a court date and things like that still court dates I don't unless it's for a traffic ticket and even then I'll just do it over the phone I don't I've had a bad experience with uh, court and, and I don't like going and this is really embarrassing and it really immature me but it's just the way it is it's the way I am and trying to understand that and recognize that might give me more chance to better prepare myself in the future for other court dates because what Utah did is uh, I realized later that this was harassment by the way but um, they could have totally I don't know, showed up at my house or, yeah, they just showed up at my house and, and taken me to jail, I guess, when they needed to for missing that court date, which it was a firm misdemeanor, um, of class B. Well, instead they showed up at work, my place of work, and things were already really hard and they show up and I couldn't believe it. I just started clamming up, sweating profusely and crying, just crying in front of everybody because it was, borderline well it was it was hard that was a very very bad day I didn't realize that that's something that police officers shouldn't do you know like go to your place of work so that you lose your job over over misdemeanors I mean felonies maybe whatever but a misdemeanor I mean this is for mind you this misdemeanor um they came to my place of work for was for a city that was something like a hundred miles south of my place of work, so the, so the people that arrested me weren't even the same city. It was like they went online and said, "Oh, it looks like we got some people with warrants, and let's go ruin their lives." So anyway, of course they did. It ruined it. It really screwed things up because when I cowed out, I didn't have a job anymore because they needed somebody to fill my position. And um, turns out. I had to wait 17 days for my court date. 17 days because the arresting city uh, didn't coordinate anything. So I didn't realize that the judge wasn't in another city. And anyway, that so I, I waited and waited. And 
Uh, and that was my first time in jail, my first real time in jail, and I don't know. Yeah, once you experience jail, you can only equate the experience to, I don't know, I, I really felt like I lost a sense of uh, freedom. Once it happens to you, you realize that you don't have freedoms. That you don't. That you really could. Any of you listening can really just get arrested for something stupid. Very much so. Something that you didn't do. Something you were accused of, maybe. Something a cop misinterpreted. Maybe you get caught with marijuana or something. I don't know. Or uh, you miss a ticket for a speeding ticket and you miss going to court or you all of a sudden you're in jail and when you're in jail you can't leave you don't eat until they tell you to eat you don't have a mattress a pillow really you are in some jails you're in a 6x10 maybe a 6x8 cellar with a bunk toilet that uh, doubles as a urinal or a shitter right above is where you get your water to wash your you can't really wash your hands with it because there's no stream coming out of it there's a trinkle that's where you get your water to fill your cups that you drink you drink your water from and uh, it's there that they might give you some books to read or something if you can if you can do that I, I was actually literally too sort of depressed to be able to to read it was weird I just didn't uh, I, mean, uh, I ended up developing getting MRSA in jail and um when they released me I ended up back in a hospital MRSA heading towards my heart so, of course I should add that I live in Utah. My wife lives here again, and my uh, the rest of my family live in other states, far away. I don't have anybody here to uh, get like a ride to the hospital from. I don't have uh, somebody to ask for help. I mean, it's really live here for them. I moved to Utah to try to f- make her happy. Uh, and I should have just no I just did what I did I live here now still and my story is kind of strange because it I'm all over the place with it but and I met this woman 2013 about this time 2013 and I'm just playing music and having the greatest time in my life. I have all kinds of friends. I'm doing things. I'm still an addict. But I guess, uh, you know, I could be one. I could sort of... The musician lifestyle has a strange way of catering to that disease. Like, you know, you're going to go and you're going to play at night. And you're going to get some beers. And in order to play good, you're going to have your Adderall script so that you perform well. And these are just sort of things you do. And it's easy easy uh, available because people are there to support they know you need it <laughs> so you you uh, 
you perform, and you hang out, you stay out late. And I, in my case, I actually got up the next morning and, and went and worked as an inspector. And, uh, even though I, I'm, my hangovers were cured from, not cured, but somehow um, they were a little less bitter because of I was still I was taking Suboxone at that time. I, I'm, that's I'm gonna jump around anymore right now, but I was taking it then and in the mornings and I would just sort of have to stomach through that beginning work part of the work day and at night you know we played and it was fun we had fun I had fun I had a greatest time of my life then and then I met her and then I you know I had over heels I, she was everything I needed structure finally somebody is gonna make me a like want to be a even better person because I'm always wanting to be a better person believe it or not addicts do not want to be bad people I mean, some of them some of them just never been good people or never been around the, or never been raised uh, to be good people yeah. maybe good people subjective I don't know um, but uh, where was I yeah about that anyway so uh, uh, meet her, and I'm just gonna quit that Suboxone cold turkey. I'm gonna quit taking the Adderall, and basically because of that, I get very sick, so I can't play music anymore. Um, I'm just, you know, not doing so good. All of a sudden, I lose that job. I can't get out of bed. I can't barely shower, and I'm this new boyfriend. And I'm keep reminding myself that I'm doing this for her, and she's got to see this. And she sees this, this effort I'm putting in, and she did, and it actually was quite kind of helpful to the relationship. I mean, it sort of glued this strange, I don't know, what it was, it still, in my mind, felt like a good time, but it was very hard. I was, I was so sick, so unhappy, I mean, the depression, and followed by falling in love, it's very weird. To, to associate lots of lots of pain with falling in love. Um, what ended up happening is she ended up taking care of me. And she liked the drink, and that was one thing I didn't put down. So we drank and had sex, and and I'd pass out on top of her after um, after doing the thing there. I would fall asleep, almost like clockwork. Out I would go. Uh, kind of funny, <laughs> but she didn't think anything of it. She just thought, well, that's cool. I mean, I don't know how long I would be asleep before her. She'd wake me up at times, but the thing was is I couldn't sleep at night. Not at all. Not it, not without at least a pint. A pint would get me about two hours of sleep. So this is, this is what was happening to my um, insides. They were, my body was confused. It was trying to reach homeostasis. It was turning, trying to, I was trying to uh, use alcohol as a tool to get me back to that place where I was, you know, for so many years on Suboxone. And um, so things got, you know, progressively stranger. We were, after six months, we ended up in a really bad argument fight. Here, I'm thinking she still loved my life. Look what I've done, all this compromise and sacrifice. This is the woman for me. I'm not going to lose her, you know. I did too much into this. She, I mean, look what I've done to be with this person, you know, and, and I still wasn't well. I was still sick, and the alcohol was, 
ended up being the thing that was keeping me from getting well enough to even, well, let's see, walk to the bus stop. I mean, I was so bad. Um, so we had this fight, uh, very bad, very bad. And, um, we both realized it was, you know, it was equally my fault as hers, and she, she owns up to her part, her portion, owned up to my portion. We, we seemingly want to heal. It's like, we know we need to heal from this, like, because we did want to be together, you know, I, and, uh, well, she, the thing was that she was going to Hawaii the next day to, with her parents on a vacation that was already pre-planned, and this fight couldn't come at a worse time. No. We needed to heal, and she was going to be fi- flying four or five, you know, 4,000 miles away. Of course, my insecurities grew just out of control. Where was she at? You know, this was terrible. This fight was, you know, awful. So she comes back, and things are okay, I guess, kind of, you know. But then they quickly, she quickly get bad. Um, apathy. Apathy. She just starts to become apathetic. Like she'd go to work one morning and be lovey-dovey and then come home and she would be a different person. And um, here I was sort of dependent on on her. I needed, you know, I, I was trying to do this thing for a relationship to get through this suboxone this drug addiction and, and I needed her help to do it and here she was about she was kicking me out and she was moving into another part a newer apartment and we were kind of I guess kind of stay together still but she's so apathetic she just did not listen to me anymore she didn't care suddenly I was the culprit I was still a bad guy in that fight and she didn't do anything she had no part in it like her part she quickly forgot her role in it and built resentment towards me um what she continues to do still uh, she that's the way some people are I mean we remember scary things I guess I remember traumatic events I suppose remember our part in them we don't remember what we had to do we just remember the things that uh, that we were afraid of and the fears um, so anyway I uh, end up sort of halfway um, coming over and I mean I'd, I'd come over and stay the night with her and then wake up the next morning and have to go stay with this other friend and this other friend was trying to get in her pants um, I knew it like, every time he could. I mean, it was like he was. I just had this bad feeling, and who knows? There's probably more to it behind it than, than I know. And perhaps if I did know more, she'd realize that the bad person is not really me, but um, that I'm just the one steadily sees the bad person. Actually, who knows? I'm not going to say she's a bad person. She's a great mother, but she still holds my somehow this codependency this this terrible this terrible patterns and developments on this relationship just I have I'm since I met her so I turned I believe I want to say 34 33 since my 33rd birthday is that that birthday I have not 
had a birthday where I did not spend it completely by myself. I have never been in another relationship with another female. Not one that has any meaning to it. I have so have not felt any love from another female. I've been um, not written another song, not performed again. Um, all of it. It's all just such a... Uh, it's an unbelievable thing that I, I can't go in and get those things again. I can't go get the friends and the music back. But it's a lot harder than it seems once you've fallen out of that scene. It takes a certain amount of respect to get in there that I had to earn. When I lost it, when I gave it away for a woman. And, of course, at that time, it just looked like I was a drug addict and given, you know, when in reality I was quitting the drug, it was... Yeah, the battle is real. And so what keeps me moving on right now, really? What is it that gives me the energy to want to actually get up and try, keep, keep trying? Because I ended up in rehab last October. And what made me go there? Well, honestly, it was her. I was going to go there for her, to show her that I was gonna, wanted to do better so I could be a dad and maybe fix the marriage still. There was strange hints of hope that happened that I'm not going to get into little spouts. But here I was doing it again for her, for her, for her, for her. I'm getting sober for her, not me. No, her. It was, she was the person that I talked to, my imaginary friend. And here you have this thing called an ego, and that ego is the thing we typically talk to, or a podcast. And she was my ego. She was my imaginary friend. Uh, she was what I talked to. She wasn't around. She was who I wanted to to, to impress and get approval from. And uh, I figure if I can make her happy and get her approval, then everything would be fine in my life. That's all I needed to do. And in no doubt, that'd be great. <laughs> Still. But achieving this should not be done the way I've been doing it. So what is it that gives me this feeling that um, I'm worth it that I can that I should keep trying I mean why I could die tonight and lay in my bed I'd start decomposing and stench would happen before anybody probably noticed and cared I mean it's miserable so what is it what is it that's going to make me do this what is it because I think I figured it out I'm alive still, and I have not even begun to tell you the countless amount of times I've tried and tried and tried to stay sober, to just be okay without drugs, but it isn't easy. In fact, it's impossible. I can't do it. I still can't do it. Here's a cigarette. I still have to take my prescriptions. A certain well, not they're not addictive and habit forming, but I still have to take care of myself, my mind. If it's coffee or something, I've got to get out of my head. I cannot just be sober. It's a weird. Nonetheless, I mean, I am sober, but I mean, nonetheless, I cannot just be just bone cold, healthy, uninfluenced um, <laughs> by anything. I've got to produce something. 
I'm sure if it wasn't coffee and cigarettes or caffeine and cigarettes, probably be running or something. I'm like, oh god, well, I could really use something like that. So anyway, yeah, I uh, wrap this up. I don't know why this is even gonna get out because I'm just don't care. I'll tell my story. Maybe somebody will listen to it and be like, yeah, no, I had a relationship like that or have one. And, you know, maybe, maybe you can catch it early and realize that, no, your, your, um, girlfriend or wife, boyfriend is not going to make you sober. You can't do it. You have to do it for yourself. You, and everybody says that and it's easier said than done. Way easier said than done. In fact, I've always said that I've been doing it for myself. I wasn't. So what is it? I feel some stars lining up. I feel like I'm finally coming down to a place where, like, I can think clearly and normally, and I don't need her. And I don't need it. I can do this. I'm, I'm courageous. I'm been, I guess I'm so used to being alone that this is okay now. You know, typically I leave on a job, go somewhere, and and it, it would be hard because I just miss mm, family, um, interaction, love, connection. Now I ain't afraid. Send me out there. I'm excited. Something tells me I'm I'm in for something. You know, good. And I believe it is going to completely depend on my, on my, on hinge on my ability to realize that I, I am a good man, that I am worth it, that she, I don't need her to be a good person, I don't need her approval for it, I don't need anybody's, because if you're an addict, nobody cares, and if somebody does, chances are they're enabling you, so it's a double-edged sword anyway. I mean, so I just sort of want to say that if you, you can get in a situation in your life where you know you're, you're drowning in addiction, you need help, you need to do something, the thing that should make you do getting help is shouldn't be the, the thought of losing your girlfriend, your wife, or your love, things like that. No, it should be because you are worth it. Your life is it's definitely worth it. You don't. You're better than that. You should love. You are worth taking care of. You are worth saving. You you do deserve the sober the the, the gifts that you get from being sober. You do deserve the all the accomplishments and goals that you've that, that you probably have put away and just given up on you are worth them you're worthy you're good enough no one's going to make you better no one and people that get in divorces they don't have to be in addiction anyway it's unhealthy people feel like they need to be in, get married in order to accomplish one of their main checkoff goals like it's a part of being an adult now to be married and have babies and kids and no no it never has been never was um it works for so many people because 
sharing your life with is what gives him so much it's that part of like you know I can play songs and music I really can I, and I'm good at it I can sit there in the room and do it but it, it doesn't have any that, um, joy behind it the whole purpose everything about it is just not as beautiful as it is with somebody else again that doesn't mean we need that to have it it's not a requirement because we can really get out there and do other things you know like see the world go to school learn things meet all kinds of friends get get a clue of who you are because so many of you people out there are going to marry they're married retired and going to die and have no fucking clue who you are you never will you think you do you think you are because you've retired from a good company and you've you've acquired a little bit of wealth or just enough to survive on and you're married still and you've got some kids and they're married and they're pretty healthy and you know you have no clue you're all, you may not have a fucking clue who you are and and you're trying to give your life value based on the work that you've done like for somebody else your whole life I don't know I don't regret anything even the dick pics learned something that uh, that uh, that <laughs> you can really end up doing some things I mean honestly I'd have never never ever put myself in a position had I known it was going to get put on the main cloud sent over a server sent to all kinds of engineers and co-workers and people and oh my god hmm the day it happened, I just ignored it, treated it like it didn't happen, like I didn't care. And really, I didn't at the time. I was like, well, you haven't seen a dick before. In reality, had they not? Mine was just shaved nicely, I guess. Oh, I had Photoshop, I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe I used black and white. Black and white dick pics are better, I think. If you're trying to make it look bigger. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's a tip of the night. The other tip. <laughs> I'm out.